Philippians 2, verse 5, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he, God, humbled himself. He became obedient, even to the point of death, but not just any old death, the death of the cross. Yet he was innocent. Therefore, God, the Father, has highly exalted him. He's given him the name that is above every name. And that at that name, every knee should bow. Key word there, should bow. Of those in heaven, those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining, without disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice. It's Paul talking to those he ministered to. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes. And even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of service of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. And I mean that. <laughs> As we were worshiping, everything in me just wanted to bow to him in the knowledge of what I just read, the reality that what God did, the message of the cross. It should cause us to bow. It should cause us to just shout out, Jesus is Lord! And Romans 14.11 says um, a little differently, it is written, as I say, the Lord, as, as I live, says the Lord, a different word here, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. Talking about the judgment, one day everyone's going to do it. 
But now we should. If the cross has been made known to us, we should be bowing. We should be saying, yes, you are Lord. And God wants you to know what it means for you personally when he truly is your Lord. Lord of your life, not just Savior. One can't go without the other. And he wants you to know what it means when you have done that. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. The problem for man is when he says, you didn't make me. You're not Lord. And definitely not Lord of my life. That's man's whole problem. That's the problem of sin. That's what Romans 1 talks about. They don't glorify him as God. And professing to be wise, they become fools. That's what's at the root of all sin. You're not Lord. And definitely not of my life. But yet it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful statement. It's a picture of what happens when someone's born again. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, works in someone's life, works in their heart to reveal God, Christ, the message of the cross, they're cut to the heart. That light shines in their heart. They receive it. They don't resist it. They receive it. They're undone. They realize, He is Lord. And I'm doomed. And then in that very moment, He says, but I died for that. Repent. Come to me. I'll cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit in you. I'll adopt you. He saves us. He redeems us by the power of God. But with that knowledge, then we say, he's Lord. He didn't just save me. He's Lord. And I'll get into more what that really means. I found a, a really good article on lordship, and I'm just going to read a little bit out of it. It's by a man named Dr. Harold Selah. Um, and, you know, we sing in church, he is Lord, he is Lord, right? We, we sing those songs, but what does that really mean? Or we hear the word lordship. We hear that, but we, we don't see that actual word in the Bible, but it's all over the Bible. And a lot of people today that consider themselves Christians have really na never made a commitment to him as Lord. They confess to be saved, but they don't confess him as Lord. Or they might with their mouth, but their life does not give forth the image by action that he is Lord of their life. It's one thing to know him as Savior. It's another thing to know him as Sovereign. 
over my life. That means total control. He is Lord. So um, to acknowledge that lordship is to acknowledge his position, who he is. That's really what it comes down to. Um, after the resurrection, right, when Jesus rose from the dead, <laughs> what they said was, my Lord, my God, you really are him. It proved who he was. If that didn't happen, nothing Jesus did would matter. Our faith would be futile. But he did. And it proved he is Lord. So then, the second thing means we acknowledge the Lordship of Christ um, that he is my Lord, and we submit voluntarily to his lordship in our lives. It's an interesting thing. I never saw this, and I, I actually studied it out. I made sure they were two different meanings of the words there in the Greek, and it really was. But at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, someone at the table will deny me, all the other disciples used the word Lord. And again, if you look it up, it might translate a little different. It, it means Lord Jehovah. They knew what they were saying. But Judas is the only one that said, Master, is it me? Rabbi, is it me? He didn't acknowledge him as Lord. It's interesting. They all said, Lord, is it I? But Judas said, Master, is it I? Judas refused to submit to Christ's authority or discipline. And that word submit bothers a lot of people. Um, it implies forcing yourself or doing the bidding of someone else. And it, the problem is, this is how we see it, so that we'll be miserable. And uh, there's a, a Greek philosopher, um, I don't know, Diogenes, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it. Diogenes, thank you. <laughs> I got a scholar in the room. Um, but they would, he would cause, make his followers put a dead fish in their pocket to prove that they would do what he said. I just want you to be miserable. You just do what I tell you so you'll be miserable. <laughs> and we think that's what God wants to do, put a, a dead fish in our pocket. We don't understand who he is. He's not like that. Um... Don't think for a moment that to acknowledge his lordship will result in hardship or loss. It simply means you recognize your position in relation to his. You fear Christ because you don't know him. You're afraid to surrender because you don't know him. You fear, um, to, oh sorry, to know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. Many are like Philip who walked with Jesus for three years when Jesus turned to him and said, Philip, you've been with me three years. You don't know me yet? And God wants to say that to you this morning. You don't know me yet. Just look at me hanging on the cross for you. You don't know me yet? You don't understand my heart yet for you? 
See, we understand his heart. Submission becomes a joy. It's not hard. God wants you and I to know what it means for us, his people, when we have made him Lord and Savior. The freedom that comes with that. All the benefits that come with that. This is what he spoke to me as I prayed and sought him for today. He wants you to walk in all he has provided you. He wants you to take hold of his promises for you. If you've made him Lord, if you are determined, Lord, you are Lord, I'm, giving, I'm making you Lord over every aspect of my life, claim this. So I'm going to look at a psalm that was read not too long ago, Psalm 23, and I'm going to look at other things, but I, I just want to go through this a little bit because the, psalm, the psalmist says, and it's believed to be David, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he uses that same word, Lord, that describes Jehovah. It's the same uh, expression he gave to Moses when he said, I am that I am. I am the all-sufficient one. I am the everlasting one. I am that I am. It's what Hebrews 11 talks about. Talking about faith when it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe he is everything. <laughs> and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Follow him. Go after him. Listen to his voice. Obey him. He's a rewarder. Jesus, I'm just going to pray. You are here in our midst today. You're here. Help us to know your voice. You're always calling your sheep. Always Thank you. You don't leave us alone. Thank you. You are the good shepherd. You've made a dwelling place for your sheep. Those who follow you, lead us, Lord, today to that desired haven when all we need is you and what you have provided. I thank you. That's what you're doing for your people. That's the call that's been going forth. It's me, it's me. Come to me. It's all about Jesus. Not all the other stuff we've made it about. It's all about Jesus, the good shepherd. Follow me, he's saying. God, make that more real to us. The Lord is my shepherd. It means I acknowledge him not only as Lord God Almighty, but as my Lord. He's not only the Lord, he's my Lord. I'm his. I hear his voice. He speaks to me in his word. He speaks to me in my inner man, and I follow him. I obey him. Because I love him. I want to please him. I want to go where he's going. I shall not want, it tells me, if I do that. I shall not want. That's a picture of absolute contentment. No matter what situation I find myself in, I will be lacking nothing. 
I shall not want. I shall not lack nothing. I will be satisfied. I'll be at rest inside, even if I'm in the midst of a storm. I'll have everything I need because he's with me. In John 10, there's six marks of those that are truly his. They know their shepherd. They know his voice. They hear him calling each of them by name. He's personal. They love him. They trust him. And they follow him. They obey him. That's who his sheep are. When we walk with him in that way, he leads us. Where does he lead us? He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. Those special times of solitude that we need, where we feed our soul on things that satisfy, on him. When we sit at his feet, like we were singing about this morning, when we drink deeply of his love, He leads me. He leads me to nourishment from my soul, away from all the things that won't satisfy me. But I have to follow. I have to let him lead me. But that's where he leads me. Don't squander the times he leads you to green pastures. You won't, it won't always be green pastures. We're going to find that out. Cherish the times you have in the green pastures and the still waters where you could sit at his feet. Take advantage of those times. Because it's there, verse 3, where he restores your soul. He brings back your life from destruction. He renews your spirit within you. He revives you. He brings satisfaction. He gives life to you. The psalmist, they use the word, he quickens you. With his word, he quickens you. With his spirit, it's life. To your flesh, to your bones, to your whole being. Because he is life. He quenches the thirsting. He satisfies the hungry soul restores. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He instructs me through his word. He leads me by his spirit. That verse in Ezekiel 36, 27, where it says, I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments to do them. So being his sheep means I come under his authority. I learn from him. He instructs me. Because the word of God is sufficient. The word of God is able to make me complete, lacking nothing. It teaches me about him. It corrects me. It rebukes me. It instructs me in the way of righteousness that I may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He leads me in that way. He does it in all different ways. (laughs) 
Hebrews tells us he disciplines his children when they're not walking in the way. But it's all because he loves us. And it doesn't seem joyful for the moment, for the present, but it's painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, to those who come under his lordship, who understands my father loves me. He knows what's best for me. This is hard. I don't understand what's going on, but Father, thank you. You know what I need. He's changing your nature in the midst of that. He's making you from a sheep into a lamb. He's giving you his nature. What a blessed thought that is. He's changing me. He's making me more and more like him in the process. And it's all for his namesake. Here it is again, for his namesake. Why? To display his glory, to show people who he is through my life. It has nothing to do with me. It all comes back to him being glorified. Ezekiel 36, 23, the nations will know that I am the Lord, says the Lord, when I am hollowed in you, sanctified in you, when everything in you is bowing before me, professing you are Lord, you are Lord, when I am hollowed inside of you, then everyone, the nations will look and they will know that I am God. You are Lord. You are Lord. When he's Lord of my life, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because he's with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. They comfort you. And obviously the valley, the shadow of death, has its fullest meeting in, we're going to die one day. But yet we know because of what he's done, we don't have to fear death. He's removed the sting of death and we can pass through that valley with confidence that he'll bring us on to the other side. But then it also depicts the valleys, the times in our lives where everything, it seems like we're going to die. We hear the Apostle Paul talk about that in his life. Um, And we need to know, thou art with me. In other words, I don't have to fear. He hasn't forsaken me. He hasn't left me. He's with me. His rod and his staff that he governs and rules his flock with and protects them guards me. I'm under his care. They comfort me. He's with me. I don't understand. I'm afraid. But he's with me. As I choose to suffer with him, as I let him lead me through these valleys, he's with me. And sometimes God does lead us into those dark places, difficult places along our walk with him. We're not just called to remain in nice places. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. 
who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself to you. You understand who he is. You know him. But yet he says we have this treasure, this mystery, this knowledge, this glorious salvation that he's revealed to us. It's inside of us. It's in these earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And then he goes on. We're hard-pressed on every side. This is the, the, the valley. We're hard-pressed on every side. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is Lord. And I've crucified the flesh, and my desires. And He is Lord. It is now His life that I live. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not. Fear not. I'm with thee. Don't be dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you, yes. I will help you, yes. I will uphold you, yes. With my right hand. Of righteousness. Hallelujah. God is preparing a way, people, for us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But He has to be Lord. And then we'll know He's with us. He's going to have everything we need when it all seems dark and it seems like death is upon us. He'll be there. So let's flee to him now. Let's heed the shepherd's voice now. Let's go where he's calling us to go now. Every other source of trust will fail. Whatever else is our reliance will fail. When the hour of anguish approaches, that reliance will fail. What we dread will overwhelm us. No riches, no honors, no earthly friends can save us from what is coming. Nothing can be a security for our souls when the rains descend and the floods come and the winds blow upon us. Nothing. When he is Lord, we fall under the group. Jesus talked about in Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, in other words, the Lord is my shepherd. I hear him. 
I follow him. I obey him. I do what he says. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when those winds and the rains and the wind blows, that house stands. His people are going to stand. And our lights are going to shine brighter than ever in that dark hour. I'm telling you. And haven't we seen that in our lives when those dark hours come? Well, how much more, the darker it gets, is that light going to shine? So he's preparing a way for us. There's only one foundation that's going to hold us, and that's Jesus. He prepares a table, verse 5, before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our heads with oil. Our cups run over. In the midst of this world, in the midst, we are surrounded by enemies. We're surrounded. We're the few. It's like we're going out to an army with a thousand, with ten thousand. Remember, Jesus said, Count the court. This is the reality of what it's going to mean to follow me. It's like going to war, it's like building a tower. You need to really think about this. this it's, a, it's a difficult way. Or like Paul said to Timothy, you know, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is war, Timothy. We're like the servant sometimes. I think it was Elijah's, where he's surrounded. <laughs> They're surrounded by a physical army, and the servant's like, oh, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And he's like, Lord, open his eyes. There's more with us than against us in the spiritual realm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. His table is there, even in the midst of all the opposition and all the enemies. And they're enemies of the cross. They're those who refuse to say, you are Lord. It's those in Romans 1 that resist the truth. And it's pride. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the world spirit. They hate God. And they hate you. They're your enemy. That's why we can't be friends with the world. His table is there in the presence of my enemies. But yet in the midst of it also, he anoints me. He's called us. That, that's a picture of... A lot of things. It's a fresh anointing. It's a, a fragrance they would lavish on people to bring refreshing, but was also used as a sign of office for the priest, for the prophet, for the king. And he's anointed you. He's anointed his people. Jesus said, he, the Father has anointed me. For what? For a calling, for a purpose. And he's empowered you to fulfill that purpose. Christians are anointed by God, consecrated, set aside for the service of God by the Holy Spirit. Just like those priests, just like those prophets, just like those kings, we are called priests. And our verse we've been looking at, uh, Luke four eighteen, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. He has anointed us for what? To preach the gospel to our enemies. Because God loves his enemies. 
He doesn't desire that any would perish. He loved us when we were his enemies. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's principalities. It's the spirit of this world. It's the devil that has blinded people's eyes. They don't understand. And that's why we have to walk in humility. And that's why we have to walk in the love of God. And not see people as our enemy. They're not our enemy. The devils are. It's a spiritual warfare. We're to rescue them. We're to go to them. We're to live out the love of Christ. That was what it means to let our light shine. Because he sent us to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent us to heal the brokenhearted. He sent us to proclaim liberty to the captives. He sent us to give recovery of sight to the blind. He sent us to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he doesn't just give us enough. No, our cups run over. He gives us more than we need. Abundance. More than enough. A pitcher of a cup overflowing. Poured out. Poured out for him. Poured out. What what do you think happens when a group of people get together and all of them say, You are Lord. You're Lord of me. You're Lord of us. You're Lord of this body. You are Lord. You are the head. We are all subservient to you, Lord God Almighty. You have reign over us, Lord. We are your servants. We are here, Lord, at your bidding. Our lives are not our own, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Use us. What do you think happens? Well, Psalm 133 tells us. The blessing will be there. The anointing will be there. Unity will be there. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What brings about unity? How did the disciples all of a sudden have unity in the upper room? When they were fighting who was going to be the greatest, not too long before that. What changed? They were all humbled, first and foremost. They had the Holy Spirit, (laughs) but they also understood he's Lord. And they were totally done relying on themselves. They were totally surrendered. And they just were like, Lord, here we are. Use us. But give us what we need. (laughs) You promised. Well, the Lord is my shepherd. Boom, 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 boom. You got it. That's what happens. It's like precious oil running down the, the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron. More than just God pouring his anointing over you. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing of life forevermore. That's where God commands his blessing. And then lastly, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will follow you all the days of your life. And you will. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
if the Lord is your shepherd, you won't lack anything. We have a, a dwelling place, people. That's what that's a picture of. Yeah, we're going to have a dwelling place for all eternity, but we have a dwelling place now, and God is calling you into it. And that dwelling place has a lot of different aspects to it. In John 15, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, if, you are, if I am Lord of your life, you will abide in my love. So there's an abiding place in his love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love, I'm speaking this to you so my joy remains in you, so that your joy may be full. If you want joy, make him Lord. Follow him. Listen to him. Obey him. If you keep my commandments, I will know his goodness, his mercy throughout my whole life, no matter what situation I find myself, I will have the secret of learning to be content in all things. So what are more of those places? Well, there's a place of intimacy he longs to have with you. We see a picture of that in Revelation 3, or Revelation, sorry, 3. Verse 19, where he says, as many as I love, I rebuke or chasten. This is for us who maybe feel like, man, <laughs> man, Father, I, I know uh, you love me, but, oh, man, there's so much you've been showing me. It hurts. No, I love those. I and here's the end goal. I'm trying to remove some things because... Um, so be zealous and repent because it's me. I'm standing at the door of your heart. I'm knocking. I want to come in. I want to fellowship. I want to dine with you. I want to have intimacy with you. So put away those things that I'm showing you. Just put them away. I want you. He wants you to know there's a place of safety and refuge where he alone is my rock, the psalmist says. He is my defense. I will not be greatly moved. He wants you to know that. He wants you to experience that now. He wants you to bring you into that place of rest that we prayed for our brother in Matthew 11 when he said, come to me. That's what he's doing. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will. That's a promise. Take my yoke. Learn of me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly at heart. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to put a stinky fish in your pocket. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. A place of fruitfulness, John 15 again. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in me, you will ask what you desire. It will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. You will bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Real fruit produced by God. You'll be in a place where you become an image bearer. Where you're partaking of that divine nation, uh, nature. Where it says in, in 2 Corinthians 3, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, as we are beholding Him, as we are following Him, as we are spending time in the green pastures and feeding upon Him, we're becoming more and more like Him. 
a place of glory. The nations will know I am the Lord, says the Lord, when I'm hallowed in your eyes. He'll be glorified in our lives. A place of satisfaction. I love this psalm because it, it's really all of our testimony. All of us can find in there our testimony. But the first part, it's really all of us. And it really does speak of the scripture the Lord gave this church. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, gathered out of the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry, thirsty, their souls fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. He saved us, but then he leads us. He wants to lead us. When you make him Lord, then he leads you, because it says, then he led them by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. That's just a few things. There's so much more that I would encourage you to let God make your own. It's right to stand on this if you are following him. And claim them for yourself. So if any of these things are lacking, what could possibly be the problem? I'm not letting him maybe be Lord of this. I'm letting him of this, but I'm not of this. I'll let him of this, but not my finances. I'll let him of this, but not my kids. I'll let him of this, but whatever it is. He wants to be Lord of everything. The Lord our shepherd is calling us into his abiding place. And he gave me this thought the other day. And I'm going to say it to you. God is jealous over you. God is jealous over you. He really is wanting all of you. He wants you to say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He wants you to know that personally. That wonderful place where I don't, I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. That's going to be the key in the days ahead, I'm telling you. Didn't he choose you? Well, he can't bear that you would choose anything else but him. Because he chose you. He called you by name. He loved you with such a love, he doesn't want anything standing in between you and him. That's how much he loves you. He's very jealous for our company. He doesn't want you trusting in anything else but him. He wants you to know what true love is. He wants you to know what true communion is with him. So if he loves me so much <laughs> to care about our love, we can be sure... He will suffer nothing to harm us or hurt us. He will protect us from all of our enemies. When everything fails, 
he will be all we need because he's my shepherd. So Jesus said of his sheep in John 10, 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So as his sheep, we should follow him wholeheartedly as sheep would follow their shepherd. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We're not true to our profession of a Christian if we question his will and don't submit and obey him in all things. All the paths of the Lord are mercy, all of them, mercy and truth. So let's put our full trust in him since we know that whatever happens, sickness, health, adversity, whatever it is, his purpose is going to be worked out because he promises us, right, in Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, everything will work for his purpose and will in our lives. If he's Lord. So I'll just finish with this. Let's just let him be Lord of your life. We already had an altar call. <laughs> let him be Lord of your life. Don't, don't be afraid. I put this in really bold letters. Do not be afraid to give him everything. You're missing out. Don't be afraid of surrendering everything to him. Because when he is Lord in his people, then he's going to be glorified in the earth. When he's sanctified in us. So I'm going to finish with Philippians 2. I started with it. I'm going to finish with it, but I'm going to go up uh, a little further. Um, and I am going to uh, give an opportunity to anyone maybe that uh, didn't respond earlier, but God's speaking to you. And you know maybe he's not Lord, but you want to take that step today. But this is really what I'm going to read you. I believe God's heart for us right now. And I just want to encourage you as we let him be Lord to allow this to be manifested in our lives and in this body. Therefore, if there is any consolation of Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. In other words, submitted under his headship. That's what that means. When we're all under him, when, when he is Lord, we're all going to have his mind. That's what that means. Being of what, having the same love, being of one accord, don't let anything be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And Lord, I pray as we are saying yes to you in that way, I pray for all those here, Lord, you would make these truths a reality in their lives. I pray against fear. I pray against doubt. 
all the things that the enemy would try to sow into our hearts as we are determined to follow you, to, to listen to your voice, to go where you're leading us. Lord, I pray your perfect love would cast out fear in this place, in every heart, Lord, because the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want, we shall not lack any good thing, Lord. That doesn't mean prosperity in the world or we won't be martyred, Lord, but no good thing will we lack, and it's you. Because death is victory. It doesn't matter. It's all victory in you, Lord, despite our earthly circumstances. God, make it real to us. Prepare us, Lord, to be lights that will shine. Help us to come under you, Lord, because you're a good shepherd. You know how to take care of your sheep. You know how to bring about what you're wanting us. You know where you're taking us, Lord. So, God, I thank you, and I trust you to have your way. And I pray my brothers and sisters would be encouraged and would set their eyes on you, Lord, and you alone. And that they would have endurance to run this race that is set before them. In Jesus' name, amen.